0: Hello, my name is Thomas Berezoski, and I'm the director of Two Journeys Ministry. If you
1: find Andy Davis' content helpful and you want to help us disseminate free gospel-centered content, please prayerfully consider donating to Two Journeys. All end of your gifts will be matched up to $20,000. Please visit the donate page on twojourneys.org for more information on how to donate. Thank you.
0: Welcome to the Two Journeys podcast. This is episode 43 in the book of John entitled My Lord and My God, where we discuss John chapter 20, verses 19 through 31. I'm Wes Treadway, and I'm here with Pastor Andy Davis. Andy, what are we going to see in these verses we're looking at today?
1: Well, here we come to the culmination of John's gospel. We come to the purpose statement, uh, which we've cited again and again throughout our studies. We also have John's version of the Great Commission where he sends out uh, the disciples into all the earth as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Uh, We also see the initial impact of the giving of the Holy Spirit as Mm -hmm. the disciples begin the time, uh, locked away for fear of the Jews and end up changing the world with utter fearlessness. So that's going to be exciting. But for me, probably one of the greatest aspects of this, other than the purpose statement, which is so important, is Thomas's confession, Mm -hmm. my Lord and my God, and understanding that confession is what we must make in order to be saved. So I'm looking forward to the study today.
0: As am I. Well, so that we can have a sense of where we're at, I'm going to read John chapter 20, verses 19 through 31. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. why does John highlight at the beginning of this passage that it was still the first day when Jesus appeared?
1: Well, that was uh, the most faithful day that we've ever had in redemptive history. That was resurrection day, and what a busy day it was for Jesus. But here on the evening of that day, they're assembled together, and that's the beginning of the new creation, the beginning of everything. So it's so exciting, the evening of that first day of the week.
0: Mm. And how does John describe the disciples? What does this teach us about their mental state and their faith at this point? I mean, What are they afraid of?
1: They're afraid of death. They're afraid of being arrested and tortured and killed. Mm. Uh, They're afraid of all the things that we would be afraid of in similar circumstances. They're just normal people. And uh, Jesus had orchestrated in John 18 their escape, but they escaped because they were afraid. That's why Peter denied knowing Jesus. They're afraid of death. So it says very plainly, Mm. the doors were locked for fear of the Jews, and the Jews being the Jewish Authorities. When John writes in his gospel, the Jews, he means the Jewish authorities. That would be Annas, Caiaphas, mm-hmm. his henchmen, the Sanhedrin that hated Jesus. They were afraid, and reasonably so, afraid of being arrested as their master had been. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, Jesus said, how much more the members of his household? So if Jesus has been arrested and killed, then how much more would they uh, also be facing their own death? So they're terrified of death.
0: Mm. Now, in this passage, what do we learn about Jesus' resurrection body? When John says the doors were locked, yet Jesus came and stood among them.
1: Well, the way it's written, uh, and some, some scholars like perhaps Wayne Grudem and others have said we can't make too much about the statement. It could be that the doors were locked, but Jesus found a way to open the door, came in, et cetera. However, we noted that his, his moving out from the tomb before the stone had been removed, it just being a cave, no other, you know, exit, uh, meant he could pass through the walls. Yeah. And so, we have to have an understanding of Jesus' physical resurrection body. Yeah. And I think Wayne Grudem and others that are concerned about that want us to understand how physical the resurrection body really is—flesh and bones. Jesus said, "A spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have." And yet, we have this unusual capability. So Jesus just seems to come right through the doors and stand in their midst. There are dimensions of the resurrection body, what Paul calls it is raised a spiritual body that we don't fully understand.
0: Yeah, that image in 1 Corinthians 15 is one that we've talked about before and it's just a bit remarkable and a bit puzzling as I've tried to think through that as well, a spiritual Mm -hmm. body. But we see Jesus here.
1: And another thing also, there's a psychology here. They, they lock the doors. They can't keep Jesus out. I mean, they can keep the Jews out for a little while, maybe. But Jesus goes where he pleases. <laughs> Nothing can stop him. Yeah. So he comes right in. Well, so. it seems like the
0: fact that he was able to get in was somewhat startling to them or could have been because Jesus greets them Mm -hmm. as we see here with the the phrase that's familiar peace be with you what's Mm -hmm. what's the significance of Jesus greeting peace be with you along with Mm -hmm. the showing of his hands and his side and how might that relate to Romans chapter five
1: absolutely well I think first of all it's pretty clear that it's not just a greeting like hello Mm -hmm. or shalom aleichem something like that Mm -hmm. Um, it's pretty clear that there's a, a, a deeper theological purpose to Jesus and then to John's writing because he says, again, peace be with you a moment later. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's repeated. It's emphasized. This is not merely a greeting. And so what does it mean? Well, what it means is uh, not just don't be startled as I come in through the door. Mm-hmm. And, and that's reasonable to say because in, in Luke's gospel, I think it is, doubts were rising in them because they thought he was a ghost. Mm. And so they were afraid like you'd be afraid of a dead person coming out of the grave. And so there's that sense. And so I, I'm not going to minimize peace be with you at that level. But I think deeper, when he shows them his hands and his side, I think we're dealing with Romans 5.1, which mm. says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So what this means is that before Christ's atonement or apart from Christ's atonement, God is at war with us and we were at war with God. We were enemies, as Titus said, enemies in our minds as shown by our evil behavior. So in our minds and in our behavior, enemies of God. And God had an active, terrifying wrath against us as his enemies. We were under the wrath of God. We were storing up or accumulating wrath, Romans 2 says. But now that Jesus has died, showing his hands and his sides, saying, look at the evidence of my death. Now that that Christ has died, God is at peace with us, and we through faith in Christ are at peace with God, the the relationship has been reconciled. So I believe this is a very significant theological statement. Because of the piercing of my hands and my feet, because of the wounds that I went through, you now have peace with God.
0: Now, we know that belief in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ is essential for salvation from sin. Mm -hmm. Why does Jesus show the disciples his hands and side And how would you answer Bible scholars who might teach that it's immaterial whether Jesus truly rose, but what matters is the heart experience you get from thinking about the resurrection as recorded in the Bible?
1: Yeah, I guess I didn't really realize all the history behind that. I was reading last night... a history of Friedrich Schleiermacher and mm. and he was starting to say religion is not nothing to do with historical facts it has to do with your feelings, your sense mm. what it does to you and, and other people's religions can do the same kinds of things to their hearts that Christianity can do to yours, well that's false mm. Paul sets all that aside vigorously in 1 Corinthians 15 saying if Christ has not been raised from the dead, your faith is foolish futile, meaningless mm. it has no validity at all mm. so we Christians above any religion in the world are absolutely tied to history. Mm. And so, and why is that? Because both the physical and the spiritual realms are made by God. And so Jesus, his incarnation, the word became flesh. All of that meant he stepped into the physical world and his resurrection means he's resuming a physical or corporeal existence. He continues forever to be human. He continues forever to be in a human body. So he shows the hands and saying, the same body that died has now been raised from the dead. So I, I think there's that aspect. We absolutely must believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus in order to be saved, in order to have our sins forgiven. It says, if you confess with your mouth mm. that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, You will be saved. And so fundamentally, we have to believe this. Now, why does he show them the physical evidence? Because of the unique role that they were to play in redemptive history that you and I don't play. And we'll get to us later in the same chapter in a moment with Thomas's confession. But these were eyewitnesses of his majesty, eyewitnesses of his glory, Peter says. We were from the first eyewitnesses of the word. Uh, First John talks about being that which we have seen, what we have handled or interacted with. So the, the apostles were, were to be eyewitnesses of the bodily resurrection of Jesus. This is their moment. This is the reason, in part, that they were called so they could be with Jesus and testify to his bodily resurrection from the dead. One last thing. The wounds are interesting. We'll talk about that with Thomas. But fundamentally, we know that Jesus in his resurrection body could have healed from his wounds. We don't imagine that we in our resurrection bodies will still show signs of the accident or the disease that took us out of this world. Mm. No, the bodies that are depicted are radiant, glorious, and perfect. But Jesus chose to maintain these wounds to show the continuity.
0: Yeah, it's amazing. We were talking earlier about uh, the lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing in the throne. Just a beautiful picture of that continuity where yeah. we understand who this is and why it matters yes. so much for us. It was a
1: choice that Jesus made. Mm-hmm. It was yeah. a choice that he would maintain those emblems emblems of his suffering for us.
0: So we have a faith then that's rooted in this historical reality, but we aren't able to look at and to touch Jesus hand mm-hmm. inside. How then can we believe in his bodily resurrection? I think this this passage that we're looking at today helps us know
1: that. Yeah, I go back to um, earlier in the same chapter in verse 8, they still did not believe from Scripture that Christ had to rise from the dead. It's going to be by Scripture. We believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus from the dead only based on one thing, and that's Scripture's Mm. testimony to the same. Both Old Testament prophecies that it would happen, which is all they had back then in terms of Scripture, and then New Testament accounts like in this gospel, that it did happen. And then theological discussions of the significance of the fact that it happened, like in the epistles. We have the scripture, and that's how we know Christ was raised from the dead.
0: And John says as much in the purpose statement that he'll give us in just a little while, when he says, that's why these things were written down so that you would believe. So what's the relationship between the repeated peace be with you and Jesus commissioning, where he says, as the Father has sent me, even so, I am sending you. Is this sending only for the apostles? Is it for all of, all believers? How should we think about this?
1: Right, that's a question. So I think first, <laughs> I, I would say this about the second statement, peace be with you. I think there's two aspects of peace um, that we need to embrace in the Christian life. One is objective and the other is subjective. And those words are not always easy for us to grasp. So here's the thing. The objective reality or status of our relationship with God is one of peace forever. Mm. He is not at war with us and we are not at war with him and never will be again either side, forever at peace with God because of Christ. So that's objective reality. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The second subjective is a feeling of peacefulness, a feeling of tranquility. Don't let doubts rise in your mind. Don't let your heart be troubled, Jesus said. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's peacefulness, mm-hmm. a feeling of tranquility. That's important too. But that comes and goes. Comes and goes. Well, I think it's possible the second peace be with you is not just an emphasis of the objective reality of peace with God. But be peaceful in the fact that I am here with you, I will never leave you or forsake you, and don't let your heart be troubled about the mission I'm about to send you on. Hmm. They could easily start getting afraid. You're gonna get out of this locked room, you're gonna go down in the streets and start boldly testifying to the resurrection of Jesus. Don't be afraid. (laughs) You mean where where those (laughs) Jewish leaders
0: are that we were so fearful of?
1: Don't be afraid of death Mm. anymore. Don't feel fearful of death. And that those feelings of fearfulness are, are important. Jesus, time and time again, says, do not fear, only believe. So he pits faith against feelings of fearfulness. So we are to let our hearts not be troubled, but to be at peace. Then he says, as the Father has sent me, Even so, I am sending you. That's an amazing statement. So you go back to John 6, where Jesus said, I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me. I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For the Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. That's Jesus' mission. Mm -hmm. Now he's giving it to the apostles and through the apostles to us. Yeah. It's the mission of evangelism, of missions, of taking the gospel message to the ends of the of the earth, and this was their commission. It is given in in all four gospels. Matthew has its version, Mark has its version, Luke has its version. This is John's great commission. They're different. All four of them different from each other. Acts one eight also same thing. Sent out into the world to win the lost. Mm-hmm. So as the Father sent me, so we should deal with our mission with the same seriousness and dedication that Jesus dealt with his. Jesus is sending us out to share the gospel. And no, it's not just for the apostles. It was given because he says, surely I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Mm. So even though the apostles would die, the mission goes on. That includes us.
0: And is there more that could be said for how we should understand our mission in light of how the Father sent Jesus, how we ought to respond to the mission?
1: in every respect we should look at jesus level of obedience mm. his delight my food is to do the will of him who sent me and finish his work it's a great thing that we saw back in john 4 where the disciples are just thinking about getting lunch they hungry, went into the man. samaritan <laughs> village and bought some food and they were like why are we even here i don't like samaritans mm. jesus was thinking there's a harvest to be harvested there's wow. people to be won I have food to eat you know nothing about. Well, he wants them to start thinking about their lives and their mission the way he thought about his. Or as Paul would say later, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the task Jesus gave me.
0: Now, what are the disciples sent out to do? And why does Jesus mention the Holy Spirit in conjunction with this commissioning, specifically as we look at (laughs) verses 22 and
1: 23? Right. Well, we saw back in John 15 and 16 how the counselor would come And he would testify to Jesus, and he said, and you also must testify. So we're given a word-based mission. We're not saying that we wouldn't want to minister to the body's physical needs, felt needs, feed the hungry, do different medical missions and all that. But fundamentally, we are called on to proclaim the gospel message. We are called on to proclaim the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. So we have to proclaim the message of the incarnation of Jesus, of his sinless life, of his mighty miracles, which we'll get to in a minute, of his incredible teachings, um, and of his substitutionary death on the cross, and his bodily resurrection from the dead. That's our mission. As the Father sent me, I'm sending you to go proclaim that message. Go out and preach the word so that people will be saved. That's the mission they're sent out to go on.
0: This has been part one of episode 43 in the book of John. We invite you to join us next time for part two, where we'll continue our discussion of John chapter 20, verses 19 through 31. Thank you for listening to the Two Journeys podcast and may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you
1: all. Thank you for listening to this resource from twojourneys.org. Feel free to use and share this content to spread the knowledge of God and build His kingdom. Only we ask that you do so for non-commercial purposes and in accordance with the copyright policy found at twojourneys.org. Two Journeys exists to help Christians make progress in the two journeys of the Christian life, the internal journey of sanctification,